stay tuned for Universal Perspectives. Good evening. This is Chris Skyhawk with KZUX and Universal Perspective. So we're trying to get our first guest, who is James Hummicky. James is a body worker and a somatic educator. Hello, James. This is Chris Skyhawk. Hi. So I'm going to do a little introduction, James, and we'll get launched with the time we have left. This is, of course, okay. I'm, I'm doing a series. Of, uh, we're calling it Surviving Late Stage Capitalism. What's next? One of the things that has occurred to me is... How do we heal collectively and personally to create a new vision for the earth, which is in, in, under such crisis at this point? And you're a good friend of mine. I've known you for a lot of years. I know you know a lot about healing. And James, I guess I'll start tonight by just saying, please uh, talk about how our bodies handle such a time as this, since we are parts of the earth and the, when it is in crisis. If you would expound on that a little bit, that would be great. <clears throat> well, thank, thank you. Thank you, Chris. I, um, yeah, there's a, lot, there's, there's a lot to say about this. Um, yes, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> very interesting because um, this is a topic that's come up a couple of times, including in my men's group just recently. And, you know, I've thought a lot about this over the years, and I think I had my kind of main first introduction to dysfunctionality. Oh, man, it must have been in the late 80s. I mean, I, I had some awareness before that, but, you know, reading the Howard Zinn's, the People's History of the United States, and then going into a couple of other things, that was an interesting story, but um, and you know, I really started to wake up to the inequities that were happening on the planet and our disconnection from from nature, from the planet, from each other, from our own from our own intuitive natures, and. I, like many other people, went through stages of uh, protest and anger and um, getting on my soapbox and preaching and pounding the pulpit and all of those kinds of things. And where I've come to is like two main areas of uh human dysfunction at this point and that's uh, in our relationship to death and our relationship to sensation or to our own bodies so you know we, 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 we've, we've sort of disowned our intuitive natures in a lot of ways calling it um, a variety of things like a lot of bunk or a lot of uh, uh, um, nonsense or witchcraft or, you know, I mean, it's gone through a lot of different phases of different things that we've called that. And then also through the process of, of 
coming more into a mechanized sort of vision of, of the earth and, and of, of life and, and uh, how, how life works, we've so, diverted that whole, the whole cycle of death. Let me, let me just interject here, James, with a question. And so I'm curious what your perspective is when the earth is in such a biological crisis you you were just talking about how we have disconnected from our intuitive natures, and I'm wondering if that is part of the problem that we are unable to act in the crisis that we facing that we are facing now. Yeah, no, absolutely, um, and thank you for that. I mean, we've definitely lost our connection our connection to. And I'm just going to say to Earth or to Gaia, but to the understanding that we're not just these beings that were, you know, we're like we're not like a foreign entity that we're somehow placed on this this planet, you know, that we have we actually grew up out of it like a tree or anything else that's natural to the world, and um, but we've disowned that piece, and so. And in and and I mean it's you know again this is a huge topic but in that process of disowning for a number of reasons I mean that that that's hours and hours and hours of talking right there but you know we we we've, we've gotten into this place where we're in a this rivalrous zero sum extractive consumption based society I, I liked what somebody said the other day was a we're in a trash can culture, you know, and, you know, and we pretend somehow or another that we're not part of this natural world. And so therefore we can either, um, dominate and, and destroy, or we can somehow bypass the natural cycles and, what happens? What happens during a cycle of life, or years, or, or you know, time? Um, so that you know, that's where I come back to that death. You know, as being one of the main, dis, you know, our, our uh, dysfunctional relationship to death is that we've disowned that cycle, and so part of what drives. You know, the, the consumption, for instance, is this idea of that somehow we can attain eternal youth, which is just dysfunctional. You know, that, that's, not what, that's not the truth, and that's never going to happen. And even if we can be super, super healthy, at some point, we die. So I, w- I would like to also talk about trauma. I know as a body worker... You, you have seen, I'm sure, how the body holds trauma, both personal and collective trauma. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, we obviously we carry a lot of cultural trauma because mm-hmm. of these, these insensitivities we have developed that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I, I'm just curious what you think of how to move, move ourselves personally and collectively through these traumas to try and come to a new vision of our lives and how they could be on this planet. I know that's probably a whole book there. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah, you know, it's one of those things, Hawk, is that I'm going to just tell a little little story. And and I was in Colombia 
about three years ago. And, um, you know, this is kind of an emotional thing for me. I was, I was in Colombia about three years ago and I went, I was in Bogota and there's this, um, memorial that is dedicated to women who were assaulted in one way or another, especially during to, especially during the, um, the major part of the conflicts that were happening down there. So there was, there was a UN peace process and a bunch of people brought in their weapons and, you know, there's a big, there's a big, um, to do made of it. And these weapons are piled up and then they were melted down and women who had been assaulted sexually or physically or both or otherwise in, in, in all senses of, of abuse and traumatized were asked to come in and they, they made these, they melted them with melted metal. They made these tiles that were used as flooring in this memorial. And then there was a, there was a, a, a video presentation and, you know, I mean, I, I, I feel like I have a, an understanding of, of trauma in the world and I feel like I've healed a lot of my own personal traumas and traumas around um, how, how I work with women, especially. And as I was watching this film, all of a sudden I was just overwhelmed with this deep, deep sadness. Like, I mean, it, it, was, a, it was a heart-rendering, stomach, gut-bomb kind of sadness and a, and a sobbing came out of my body. And I was with a friend of mine and, and a Colombian woman and she just looked at me and she says, um, I forgive you for the traumas against women throughout history. So she was doing that in a sort of a transpersonal, wow. <laughs> trans, transgenerational kind of mode because we're both trained in, um, you know, family dynamics and transgenerational psychiatry and that kind of stuff. So it was, it was, it, you know, it wasn't me personal, but it was just like, I was feel. I felt like I was feeling the pain from thousands and thousands of years. Yeah. So the reason I tell that story is because what I was experiencing there, I see as this collective trauma that we are all carrying. You know, there's trauma against women, children, men, uh, different indigenous cultures, every single indigenous culture, we, you know, every, every place has been conquered at least once or twice or 10 times or a hundred times. Right. So we've all experienced these things, atrocities of war. And um, so in that level, epigenetically, we're carrying that thing. And then we pile on, you know, in our own personal current lives, you know, our childhoods and, and what's happening in, in society and worldwide. And so, you know, we are, we're carrying this, this load of experience and and trauma is, is part of that experience and then just this explosion of information and constant connectivity and 
we're overwhelmed. I mean, our, our systems are not built to cope with that. We haven't caught up with what's actually happening in the world at this point. You know, I mean, our, our bodies haven't caught up. So, I mean, that, that may not be exactly what you're, you're asking me, but that's the kind of thing that we're all dealing with on, on one level or another. Okay. I'm, I'm curious if you have thoughts about this. Um, the opening song that I'm using for the series is Ghost of a Chance by Dan Dollinger because I'm very intrigued right. through this idea. This idea has been really been burning, burning me up lately in a good way. You, you talk about these, these traumas. You, you mentioned women, indigenous cultures, and it's not hard to see this huge history that we have collectively mm-hmm. and yet mm-hmm. and yet it seems to me it seems to me like we do have a ghost of a, a ghost of a chance if we believe we do <laughs> so i'm wondering when you're working with somebody and they're and they're in the midst of their childhood traumas say sexual assault or whatever it seems to me there has to be some place some place where you believe that you're going to be okay that you can do it that you can make it that you can be healthy I'm wondering what your thoughts are about that. Well, I, that that's a thing that I, I absolutely believe that um, that there is there is a not just a ghost of a chance, but we have a we have a an, an incredible capacity to as human beings to um, change the, our paradigm, whatever it is that we're in at the moment. Um, you know, one of the one of like the the a double edged sword for humanity is that we have these incredibly refined nervous systems. Feldenkrais, back in the forties, was writing about this. It was, it, was, it was amazing when you read some of his material. Um, but and then as you go as we go along, and we we see you know the the newer science around neuroplasticity and you know the um, neuroception and, and that type of a thing, um, we understand that first off we 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 come in with a minimal amount of instinct as compared to other animals on the planet, right? So the human. A human baby doesn't walk immediately. I mean, it takes years for that to happen. Um, it doesn't uh, speak. It, it can't feed itself. It, you know, these, these things that happen in almost every other animal in the animal kingdom within a very, very short period of time. So what that does is it, it makes us both capable of learning and growing in a way that other denizens of the, you know, citizens of the animal kingdom can't. And, but it also makes us susceptible to um, bad training. We'll just call it bad training. So, but at the same time, as compared to other parts of the animal, you know, other animals is that we can continue to learn as we get older. All we have to do is make ourselves available to that. So in that, it's, it's more than a ghost of a chance. We, we have the capacity to actually completely shift 
out of the paradigms that we grew up in, that we experienced, that we were inculcated in, that we were, you know, conditioned in, or that we're even in now. We have that capacity to do that. Our nervous systems are capable of that kind of shift, but we have to make a decision to do that. There has to be an intentionality to it, right? So in my work personally, it's been become more and more focused on helping people build I recently just started calling it the muscles, you know, like build the muscles or learn how to learn, right? Build the muscles of resiliency and discernment and agency um, so that when you need to shift, you actually can do that, if that makes any sense. So... I, I don't just see like a ghost of a chance. I see like we ha- we're almost, you know, without going, without being too crazy, it's just like we're almost magical beings that we can actually do that. You know, we, we can actually do that. And all I can, you know, I can, I can only look at my own personal life, but then I can so I can also point to different people and situations and watch how they've come out of these places of, of ultimate devastation and thrived, you know. The other part of that... Do you, re- do you mean with your started, personal clients? Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll speak to uh, one example of this. Is um, I was in Palestine a few years ago, and... I was working with this guy, and you can look him up online. His name is Ali um, Abu Awad, and he started the National Palestinian Nonviolence Movement. And, um, uh, like, an incredible man. And, you know, just, you can look at his, his stories on YouTube, and you can look it up, and if you need, need uh, references, and people can get a hold of me. But, um, you know, he was in prison. His mother was in prison. They did a hunger strike until they could actually see each other. His brother was shot for apparently no reason, and he was tortured. And, you know, there was, there was just this whole machination of things that would generally create a very angry person that would, you know, continue to want to fight. But he had a realization of, you know, you can't, you can't um, change the paradigm with the same mind that created it. Yeah. Mm. So he went into a meditative place and off by himself for a while and came back with this, this, um, you know, he'd heard about nonviolence movements and King and Gandhi and the whole nine yards. And, and he's like, and, and to listen to this man talk, like I, I worked with him personally for a while, for a couple of weeks. And to listen to this man talk, I mean, he's just like totally unassuming, but he can walk up to a, an Israeli soldier and just have a conversation in the, in the compound where he, where, you know, where he, they had their um, organization, there was this incredible mixture of 
of Israelis and Palestinians and Christians and people from the outside. It was, just, it was amazing. And from that thing, there was just all these offshoots and, and other organizations that started and, and whatnot. So, so he, uh, he, I, he was doing this right, I, right on the grounds that he was being, had been abused at. Right. This was his, I mean, he, he created this, <laughs> this place, right. Where he, um, that was in, on his family's property where, where he'd um, grown up. And, you know, I worked on him one day and this guy, you know, these, he was so stoic, but receptive. It was amazing. Like, you know, this, this culture where men are not used to touching each other. There's not a lot of touching happening massage is kind of this really foreign thing and i'm working on this um this guy and i had this experience with other men too there that they just were able to just like relax into it you know in a way that i that you don't see necessarily in even the the wonderful uh self-evolved kind of um northern california people for instance (laughs) and you know, at some point, I'm working on his jaw, and I, I I could feel him like twitch and move a little bit, and then just go into this, and then he just stopped and went like he just breathed out and and relaxed. And later, I just asked him. I said, "Hey, so how was that for you?" And he goes, "Well, when you're working on my jaw, it hurt a lot, and then all the memories." of my torture when I was in prison came up. Wow. And he said, I've never spoken to anybody about this. And that was the end of the conversation. You know, so in, in that situation, right, you, you, as an outsider, especially, you don't push boundaries. Sure. Yeah. You just, you just be available. You just create a container. You just be quiet more than anything else. And that was the end of it. But it was so powerful. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, so when you ask that question, like, can we change? You didn't ask. That's not exactly what you said. But you know, can we change? Yes, we're we have this amazing capacity of human beings to drop in to um, a different way of being, like to see, like to step out of the paradigms that we were raised in and do something different. Absolutely. I, I believe that 100%. You know, I, I am, I have found in my own life, my own experience, I'm finding more and more people that are adopting that perspective that you just talked about. Uh, what, I, what I'm seeing, maybe it's just because of my stroke and my, my, the way my own emphasis has shifted in my life, but I'm astounded how, how many people are just walking around now, and they're looking down. We're looking down the barrel of planetary catastrophe, ongoing war, all this stuff. People are just walking and saying, "You know what? This is obviously not working." <laughs> yeah. What else? What else can we do? What else can I do? I'm, I'm seeing more and more of this. People are, are not. They're not p- putting their faith in a political system or. <laughs> a cultural system or any more religious systems they're just saying mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know we have got to we've got to do something obviously different uh, 
I'm I'm noticing and, this trend a lot lately. Well, and, and you know, me too. And what that difference? It, what what is that different thing? You know, I mean, that, I mean, that's a rhetorical question because you know, going back to that idea of that you can't fix the problem from the same mind that created it. It's like we don't know what that is. Like, in some ways, we don't even know what question to ask yet. Um, or the question will reveal itself. So, and I know that sounds really, um, <laughs> really esoteric. But here, here, here's, here's one of, you know, like these tools that we can use. What are these tools that we can use, right? When I say, when I talk about like building the muscles, of discernment, resiliency, agency, um, so that we can become the peacemakers, yeah, as opposed to the peacekeepers. So, and and this isn't this isn't an original idea, but it's an idea that has stuck with me. Is that language is a reductive process. So there's all of this stuff happening in a person's mind, body, sensation, experience, realization, movement, breath, whatever it is. And then we bring it down into, and, and there's all these thoughts happening. And all of a sudden we bring it down and we reduce it down to some words. And then if you write it down, it reduces it to another level, right? Which is a whole other thing when you start talking about information theory. But, um, so language itself is reductive. But if you're writing in poetry or in music, or if you're, if you're communicating through movement, those are much more expansive um, ways of communicating. And so the ideas that come through those kinds of um, modalities are actually, they land in a different way, right? So if I'm just like, what I'm doing right now, I'm sitting here lecturing, or I'm, you know, maybe I'm being a little pedantic, I don't know, but but it it's reductive just in, the, just in its nature. But if I'm taught, if I'm speaking in a poetic form, like a Rumi or uh, William Blake or, you know, these other, you know, how many other millions do you know, right? Right. Um, there's, there's a sense that comes through that isn't necessarily connected to the words, if that makes any sense. And, and music, right, music is also one of those things where you're not, seeking the end of the phrase, you're actually immersing yourself in the, the reality of the sound at the moment. And, you know, it's like this deep in-breath, in a way. And movement, when you're so, doing dance, hopefully, you know, you're, 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 unless you're in like a really restrictive kind of form, it's, it's a way of experiencing your body in all the nuances that are available. 
So in this way, you know, we begin to build those muscles of like being able to understand from a different place than the linear, uh, mechanistic, um, reductive place that we've been moving from or where we've been learning from for a very long time. So, James, I'm, I'm going to interject here for a second. I'm, mm-hmm. very, I'm very interested in this thread, thread you're following, and I'm wondering if you have thoughts about how do we in, introduce this language of art, language of the heart, into the political and cultural and social systems. I, I'm, just, right. I'm just kind of, I mean, people, local people that know my story know I was running for county supervisor three years ago when I had my stroke. And I certainly came to understand that politics does not does not understand the language of the heart at all. Right. And it definitely, definitely, you know, it was. Well, you can see the end results with me. So. <laughs> so. Yes, but but mm-hmm. I think I think that we need to do it for for our survival. I don't mm-hmm. I don't think the mm-hmm. planet can survive in a healthy way unless we make that shift. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. Um, I'm, I'm. I'm gonna see if I can make some connections here because I definitely have some thoughts around this. Um, one of the things is that um, when we're in community, and community can be two people, can be ten people, can be a, a sound. Uh, a, a, a music group, it can be a, a, a town, can be, um, you know, a wider range of that. Um, part of the poetry that happens is being able to see the different the different um, perspectives that come into that moment. So you know the old the old analogy of like, you know, the blind all you know the, the six blind men touching the elephant, right? Um, and and each one yeah, is certain of what, I think it's a tree or a wall or a rope or a spear, depending on where they're touching, yeah. Yeah, you know, they, 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 everybody has their perspective. And if you get entrenched in that perspective, A, you lose communication with the next guy, and B, you lose a vision of the whole. So when we talk about this poetry in motion kind of, you know, um, poetry in motion kind of idea, idea is, that ability to listen to different perspectives and understand that everybody is is holding a piece of the wisdom. And there's no way that one of us can actually see the whole wisdom. So it's a collective thing. We need we need to understand that we need community, we need collective, and we need to listen to all the parts. And that means somebody that is you feel like is diametrically opposed to you or somebody you think is like so off base that they are just wrong. They're just wrong. 
There's no way that they're right. And you have to be able to stop and listen for the wisdom that's coming from that other perspective, no matter what it is, no matter who it is. You know, and that doesn't mean that you just sit there and let people steamroll over you. You know, it's not it's not that kind of passivity. It is it is the ability to listen, you know, and when when anyway, that there's a whole other thing around that that I could talk about. But yes, I, so I, that, I guess I'm advocating a little bit more militancy around being in the in the in the language of the heart, in the language of art, in our cultural. Well, I'd, I'd love to hear what you mean by that. That's, well, that's a that's a great idea. You know, I mean, that's a, a different idea. We live in a political system where you're basically ridiculed for talking the language of the heart, and they reject you. They, they you know, they you're put out. Mm-hmm. You can't. A politician can't. Um, if they're talking language of the heart, if they're talking language of music and the arts, they're generally thought of as, oh, that guy, he's not ready for prime time, you know, or that gal. Because our culture, we have not accepted the emotional nature of our of our existence, mm-hmm. and so I guess what I, I'm saying is I'm advocating for a little bit more militancy around coming into that language of the heart and music and arts, like you're talking about, and just being really. I'm not saying be forceful with it in a bad kind of way, but just. Just pushing our way into those public spaces and saying, "This is how it's going to be." It's this meeting today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting. That's an interesting idea. I mean, we there is when Martin Luther King. I won't pretend to know all of everything that was happening there, but when that whole violence movement was happening. And there's some really wonderful information out there around that. Um, one of our local people, Scott Menzies, actually has a, a beautiful um, understanding and presentation around this. But, um, you know, nonviolence doesn't mean laying down and just taking whatever somebody gives you, you know. But what it does mean is that you're not going to do violence to somebody out of anger and spite and vengeance, you know, these these negative emotions, but that you are willing to stop something that is unjust, that is wrong. You know, the Bhagavad Gita talks about this quite quite well, I think. Um, you know, where you have to be willing to stop your enemy, um, but with without, uh, it's not without remorse. That's not the idea. It's it's without without anger. You know, it's like, hey, you can't do this anymore, and if you keep doing this, we're going to put you down. You know. Um, so, I mean, I can see where, you know, the militancy 
I would say that we need to bring those words out of it just because of what those words yeah they um, have a big charge to in gender you know there's charge there yeah exactly but you know you know there's a phrase <laughs> if if anybody is familiar with the Bible which I'm sure many people are but you know the beatitudes and and you know the meek shall inherit the earth is one of those um one of those phrases and, and people are like, oh God, you know, what's meek mean? You know, because <laughs> it just sounds, it sounds weak. Yeah, like you're going you're to let anybody meek. kick your butt. Right, exactly. But what what meek actually, when you, when you look into the word and, you know, where it came out from the Greek uh, translations, and, you know, this isn't, um, I've been, again, I'm not going to pretend to be a huge Bible scholar, but, you know, these are a few things that I've learned, um, you know, meek are, you know, alternately is somebody who can actually listen, like somebody who can stop and listen, you know, instead of just shout out their opinion in, in the moment. Um, it's integrity. Somebody who has integrity, like, you know, is going to do what they say and say what they do type of a thing. Somebody who has humility, you know, understanding that they don't have all the answers and willing to listen to somebody else and, and work with somebody else in that way. Uh, hey, James, I'm, I'm sorry to inter interrupt you, but it's actually getting near 8 o'clock. We're going to have to wrap up here pretty soon. Okay, okay, yeah. Uh, so I was wondering if you would like to have any closing thoughts and if you want to share any contact information in case people want to continue continue this discussion with you. Right. Well, I do have a I do have a website. It's jameshumicky.com. It's been not updated for a long time, but it has all my contact information on there. And you know, I'm at humicky at mcm.com or dot org. I mean, um, and other than that, um, that's all my contact stuff. Um, and to wrap it up, I would just uh, I would just say find those practices that bring you back to the reality of nature and the earth. Breath work. I, I do breath work and cold plunge every day. I'm, I invite anybody to do that. I'm down at Virgin Creek almost every day at 8.30 in the morning. Um, and there's a group of people that, that do that. I go to Big River, obviously, with you at least once a week. Um, and so, you know, these kinds of things aren't just ways of like, oh, look how cool I am, but they're, they're actually ways of retraining the nervous system and our neurobiology so that we can actually sense and understand our connection to nature and to the earth. And from there, we can have more discernment. So, uh, discernment is one of those words. It's a wonderful word. But, okay, uh, James, uh, I'm going to have to. I'm going to. We're going to have to leave it there. Okay, good. Because we're just about Thank to eight o'clock. Thank you so much for being on. Thanks for putting up with the rough start. Love you, brother. Love you too. Take care. Have a good night. Okay. Ciao, ciao. Okay. Thank you for Burton for being with us here today, engineering for the show. Thanks for James Humicky for being with us. That was a wonderful interview. We're going to go out with a song now. It's Bruce Coburn from Bruce Coburn here. Thank you for being with us tonight. 
This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.